I got a, a DM on LinkedIn from the psychologist on base at Fort Irwin in California. It's, a, it's an army base uh, about 30 minutes north of Barstow, California. And I, I did two or three keynotes for the troops. And the psychologist sent me a DM. He said, Frank, a guy walked in here today, depressed and suicidal. And he said to me, I'm here because Frank King said I had to come. And I spoke in October. Hadn't, I hadn't, hadn't spoken to that soldier, but I spoke in October and I said, you need to speak up. You need to reach out and ask for help. And so he said, you know, because Frank King told me I should come. My goal is to save a life a day. So I figure that day, that was my guy. Welcome to Lori the Podcast. And I'm your host, Lori. And I am super excited. You're here to join me on my public speaking journey, finding out what the most impactful way is to get your audience into action. Your message is worth sharing, and people need to hear it from you. So are you ready? Let's go. Hey, Frank, welcome to the show today. And your cat, like, what's his name? Cat's name is uh, Satchel, Satchmo for short. Nice, Satchmo. Satchmo, for all the YouTube watchers, this is Satchmo. <laughs> welcome, Frank. And it's not only you and Satchmo, it's you with a really, really cool story to tell. I'm so excited you are on the show. You are the world record holder, if you say it like this, of the most amount of TEDx's ever until now. That is correct. Yeah, that's pretty damn cool as well. Like 10, and I think you even told me last time that you already have one in the planning. So before we dive into all that cool stuff and how you get there and how you get, like how, how other people might find a TEDx as well, is what caused you to share your story in the first place? Well, uh, I started comedy the day after Christmas 1985 and did clubs and such. And, and secretly, I always wanted to make a living and a difference. But, and I had speaker friends who were making a difference. And I was terribly professionally jealous to the point where my tagline was make a living, not a difference. But after the last recession here in the US, meeting planners came to me and said, look, Frank, we love you. We can't pay you that kind of money just to be funny anymore. You've got to teach the audience something. What? I've been casting about for decades for something to teach the audience. So a friend of mine, Judy Carter, wrote a book called The Message of You, The Message of You, Turning Your Life into a Money-Making Speaking Career. She said, Frank, read the book. I'm telling you, by the time you get halfway through, I'll bet you have your heart story. She calls it your heart story, the one you cannot help but tell. Sure enough, halfway through, I thought, oh my goodness, I do have something to teach because I live with two mental illnesses, depression and chronic suicidal ideation. Depression and suicide run in my family. More nuts in my family than in squirrel poop. <laughs> Sorry. That's pretty funny. <laughs> and in the last recession, I came close enough to killing myself. I can tell you what the barrel of my gun tastes like. So a near suicide. So I thought if I got some training, you know, certification in suicide prevention, I could keynote on that. Well, here's the second hurdle because I got the accreditation. I've been a comedian for two and a half decades. Who is going to believe that I can do anything slightly serious? So that week I was thinking that I got an application to apply for a TEDx talk in Vancouver, British Columbia. We're in Eugene, Oregon. It's about seven hours south of there. I actually flew up for the audition because I got the audition and I got the talk and I did a suicide prevention TEDx. And as a bonus, many people with mental illness hide the fact they have mental illness because of the stigma. 
And I'd never told anybody. Nobody in my family knew that I had depression and suicide out, not even my wife. I came out of the mental health closet on that stage. Um, I've got a friend whose wife lives with depression and I had had she and her husband watch my TEDx. And her comment was, A, I didn't think anybody talked about that stuff out loud. And B, I didn't think anybody ever did a TED talk on it. As we say down south, in front of God and everybody. Um, so the upshot of that was that A, meeting planners and speakers bureaus realized I could do something literally deadly serious. And B, two other events contacted me and said, do you have any other mental health topics that you could do? Absolutely. So that's when I got my second and third. I applied for my fourth and my fifth and my sixth and my seventh and my eighth. My, no, my eighth actually. I have a big footprint on LinkedIn, social media footprint on LinkedIn. I got contacted by the state of Assam, India, a, a TEDx event there. And they said, look, we have seen your TEDx talk. And a couple of them actually mentioned that there are positive aspects to having mental illness. We've never seen anybody else mention anything close to that. Would you do a TEDx virtually for us? So I did a virtual TEDx called I'm Not Broken. I was made this way for them. And I can't really draw a straight line between a TEDx and a booking for a keynote speech. But it helped me build my brand as the mental health comedian. And because each one's about mental health, mental illness, thoughts of suicide. And, and you know, and when they see I've got, actually, I, I've been invited to 12. Two of them I had to turn down because I had conflicts paying engagement. Yeah, so. <laughs> that, is a, that is a problem that I think a lot of listeners from the podcast are quite jealous by. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, and about the, by the time I did the fifth one, which is my favorite, which I didn't have to audition for because they liked the title and subtitle so much, which was Mental Health and the Orgasm, Treat Your Depression Single-Handedly. <laughs> they said, you'll have to audition, man. Just come up here and do it. And the, the, what, it, what it taught me was, if you wanted to, here's a tip on doing TEDx. The average TEDx event, and there are 3,000 around the world. There are a couple of hundred in the U.S. And they get 100 or 200 applications minimum. So if I'm on the committee to decide, and I've got to go through 100 or 200 applications, I'm not looking for the first reason to give you an audition. I'm looking for the first reason to throw you in the no pile and go to the next one so I can get done with this. So when, when they booked me for the you know, mental health and the orgasm, I realized that that's the first hurdle. You've got to catch their attention out of 200 applications. You've got to slow the scroll. You got to make them want to read the subtitle and then the three sentence summary and then why you're the person. Because the farther you can get them to read down the application, I think the better chance you're going to get an audition. And so that's when I coach my TEDx coaching clients. We try to select the title and subtitle that's, you know, that'll make them curious, pique their curiosity. And the fourth one, again, my fourth one, I didn't have to audition either. The title was Suicide, the Secret of My Success, which is counterintuitive. Dead Man Talking, which is a play on the movie and book, Dead Man Walking. <laughs> Again, they said, no, you don't have to audition. You're doing that. You're coming down here and doing that. So that's when I began coaching TEDx. I thought, you know what? I bet I could coach this. And I was coaching friends. And a, a friend of mine who's a business coach called me and she goes, Frank, I get the feeling you're coaching people to do a TEDx and you're not charging them anything. And that's got to stop. <laughs> so she turned me on to a friend who built me a website. For that, and I started charging, and and I've raised my fee. I think three or four times since that day. Wow. There are a lot of people who would like to have a TEDx, 
Yeah, it's it's super cool because you know it it gives so much credibility for you as an entrepreneur, for you as a, a mission driven person. I, and I would love for you to share a bit about that. But also, I want to 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 go a bit back to your story because I think. Um, actually, this week I talked to a woman, she's one of my clients, and she has a quite a serious topic. And she's like, Lori, we need to handle this in a serious and delicate way because it's quite an emotional topic. What I am very curious about, since you're a comedian and you talk about a very serious topic, how do you feel about that? And you talk about how you found your heart story, right, through reading the book that your friend gave you. How did you find this is going to be it? Because what I see is a lot of people, like everybody has a message worth sharing. Everybody has some sort of situation that is going to be inspiring for someone else. And very often I hear, my story is not good enough. Or do people really want to hear it from me because other people are talking about it as well. Like what is your, your, your lens? How do you look at, okay, how did you find your story? And then how did you find the freedom to talk about a very serious topic in a very funny way? Well, being a comedian, there is no other way for me. Uh, and people often ask me, you tell jokes about depression and thoughts of suicide? No, it's funny, personal stories. For example, I was at a keynote and I mentioned I put a gun in my mouth, but I didn't pull the trigger. And a friend of mine came up afterwards and goes, hey, man, how come you didn't pull the trigger? And I said, hey, man. Could you try to sound slightly less disappointed? <laughs> yeah, that story went in there. So because I, because I see the world as a, as a comedian, I tell people, look, two things. One, I think my sense of humor, creativity, and imagination is simply the flip side of my depression and thoughts of suicide. It's the, I think mental illness is not a singularity, just a disability. It can often be a duality, a disability and some amazing ability. Uh, and that's why the title of my talk for the Indian folks in India was, I'm not broken. I was made this way because I, I believe that, you know, that, that I see the world. I can teach you to write stand up and perform stand up. I cannot teach you to see the world and filter it the way my crazy brain does. I, I mean, I see the funny, it just filters that way. And, and so when I did my first Ted talk, you know, they say in a Ted talk, there are nine things they say should be in every great Ted talk. The, uh, the book's called talk like Ted, talk like Ted by Carmine Gallo. And he's, he watched 500 TED Talks, TEDx Talks. And he said there are nine things that belong in every great TED Talk. And one is passion for the subject. One is a surprise for the audience. And one is certainly humor. So I said to the audience, my first joke after the, you know, can you try to sound a little less disappointed? I said, you know, I went on to TED.com to research how other people handle this topic. And I figured there'd be dozens of talks on suicide. And there were three. And I said to the audience, and then it hit me, well, duh, if you're really good at suicide, you're not going to be recording a TEDx talk. <laughs> yeah, it's just the way my mind works. Yeah, and so and it's a really difficult subject, but the humor, they call it comic relief for a reason. The humor helps it be digestible and, and also um, memorable. And there's a psychological principle that, if you have something serious to tell somebody and you tell them and you've got another piece of serious business, if you can put a little comedy or comic relief in the middle, their brains are much better prepared for the next piece of serious business. So I'm, I'm not joking the entire time, but I am, you know, at, later in my TED talk, I said my grandmother killed herself with an old gas stove. 
My great aunt killed herself in a lock type refrigerator. What is it with my family and major appliances? I go by Sears, I tear up. So again, it's just the way my brain works. And people ask me, does being a comedian keep you from getting booked to speak on suicide? No, you missed the point. They want the lived experience. They want the learning objective. They want to learn something. And the fact that I can do it with some well-placed, organic, tasteful humor oftentimes pushes me over the top and I get the engagement. So it's, it's an odd combination, but it, it seems to work. And, and so the, my speaking career is actually a culmination of everything I've done to this point. I, I've been doing stand-up comedy full-time for 37 years. And then you add in the mental illness, mental health part of my personality. That's what happened in Judy's book. She walks you through. And like I said, almost a fill in the blank. And after after an X number of pages, it becomes so obvious. Oh, dear God, look at that. How come I didn't see that before? It's so obvious what I should be talking about. I mean, how many people do you know that in the speaking business that put a gun in their mouth? Come on. Uh, and so that's how, that's how, and that's, and then as I, I now think about it, I go to bed thinking about it. I wake up thinking about it. And it, it was almost like once I decided on that lane for my speaking, all of a sudden, things began to fall into place. I would meet people that helped move that forward. And I, you know, and join organizations that, you know, that would help with that mission. And just like the universe said, finally said, well, welcome. We've been waiting on you. Wow. I think this is so profound, Frank, because it sounds so obvious and therefore it is and therefore it isn't. Because what I'm hearing you say, because this is what I hear from a lot of people. I just don't know what to talk about. I don't have this epiphany. I don't have this golden buzzer. But what I hear you say is it is so obvious and that's why I should talk about it. Yeah. It, in reading Judy's book, uh, again, it it was right there all along. Sometimes the obvious eludes us until somebody points it out. And it, it just felt right. And the, I think my superpower is vulnerability. To go on stage and share my stories and I get a little choked up. The audience knows I'm on the verge of tears and I can see them. I was doing a, an engagement on Saturday and I was telling a story about why, one of the, the main reasons I don't kill myself. It involves my mother. And I saw a woman at the back, very back of the room. As I'm going through this, she takes off her glasses and she's, she's doing the, you know, she's wiping her eyes. And I believe as a speaker, if you can move people emotionally from pole to pole, from laughter to tears and back, then, then you have, they won't remember what you say necessarily, but they will remember how they felt about what you said. I had a woman come up to me in Iowa after I did an agricultural presentation because farmers in the U.S. have a high rate of suicide. She goes, you made me uh, laugh twice and cry once. I said, well, my work is done. Oh, wow. Wow. I think I, I so stand behind what you said is like, you know, you can, you can, you can be this perfect structured talk, right? Like people are so like, give me the secrets. What's the secret? What are the steps? And yes, there's a framework. I call it, I have a four step framework that we use to craft a message, but it's not, it's not so much about the, 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 the structure. You want to be clear. You don't want to be confusing. But in the end, what it is about, about an emotional connection. And what I really liked about what you say with the laugh and the cry is that the bandwidth of that emotion is really high. And I really believe that if you can increase your own emotional bandwidth because you are tearing up there or almost, you know, you feel the choke, you have fun, you know, you have an emotional bandwidth. And because you are having that, the audience has the invitation to have that too. 
So I think that's so, so, so super powerful. And I really like the, the sentence that you just said. It just felt right. It just felt right. I mean, sometimes we're looking for this, you know, waking up and you're like, oh my God, I had this dream and I'm standing there and I'm talking about this. And sometimes it just needs to be so super obvious. It's almost like, oh, was this it? just feels right and therefore it is and therefore it's my message and therefore it's my mission and therefore i i stand and share this in front of an audience and what i'm now curious about is like you on some point had this moment where you thought okay i read the book this is what i'm going to talk about you had the application you you signed up you got the gig and now you are (laughs) you're doing it you did 10 TEDx's and there's more to come like tell us a bit about how Yori said the the first sentence is quite important. It's very important to not to not be on the no pow, but maybe even like to create some sort of curiosity, like just not be on the no pow. I think that's quite an interesting way of of looking through it. Um, so so that tip you already shared. Like, is there are there other things that you think like out of all the experience that you had, this is this is a really cool tip for for finding a stage that can be a TEDx. Oh, a TEDx. That's pretty damn cool, eh? And the mission of TEDx is ideas worth sharing. Not ego wants to talk, right? So if you want to have a clearer idea about what your idea worth sharing is, I've got something for you that might help you get there. It's a free training. Link is in the description. Check it out and sign up. It's there for you. Yes. Uh, again, it needs to be your passion. It's hard to be inspiring if you're not inspired. Uh, so you need and the with my clients, they have several passions. We try to sort through them and find the one that's you know contains their heart story, or honestly, one we think is most marketable as a TEDx to do as the first, and then and then we pitch that. And sometimes if they have a second idea, then we pitch them in rotation. Whichever one fits the theme of that TEDx event the best, we'll pitch that. And again, creative title, subtitle, elevator pitch. I tell my clients, look, we may not title this thing, this title and subtitle when you do it. This is simply a marketing pitch to the selection committee. It may end up being called something entirely different, but we've got to get their attention. Otherwise, you're not going to get an audition. And, And the one thing that kills most TEDx applications, I've been told by people who are, are, you know, on the curation team, the selection committee for TEDx talk, is too much, too many ideas, or too much about one idea. You know, they don't want a thesis. That's why they ask you on the application, give us a three-sentence summary. Give us a 90-second overview on video. They want to make sure that if you, get, if, you can go, if you can give an overview in 90 seconds on video, chances are you can nail it in, in 10 to 18 minutes. It's got, it's got to be very narrowly niched, and you have to have learning objectives. You have to, they're really concerned. If you go to the audition, one of the questions they'll almost always ask you is, great idea. Now. What are you going to teach the audience? And it sounds like this. After they hear Frank speak, they will be able to. When they hear Frank speak, they'll learn how to. And you have to fill in those blanks and then give them an action item or two. Something they can go out right that afternoon and start doing. That, that happens in the audition. So if you're going to be, if you get the audition, make sure you're prepared with your learning objectives. What are you going to teach them? And your action item. What can they do when they leave the theater? I mean, start doing right that afternoon. 
I love that. I love that. I, I call this the transition between an inspirational speaker and an activational speaker. I don't believe so much in inspiration, but when it's not tied to some sort of action, then what does it really cost? Uh, a fun moment or an impactful moment while there's no transformation. So I really like that what you're saying makes so much sense in what you as a speaker should want to do anyways, right? So it's like the application is basically like just a, a door to walk in of something you should already think about as a speaker. Like what, what, what are you actually, what is the impact that you create for other people, right? And they ask you on the application oftentimes, what's, you know, why this topic now? In other words, what's the impact going to be? What problem are you solving? What pain point are you addressing? And then they'll ask you on the application, why are you the person to deliver this? And my stock answer to that one is because one person dies of suicide every 40 seconds around the world and hardly anybody's talking. And my job really is simply to start the conversation. That's what my clients tell me oftentimes when I get there. We just brought you in here to start the conversation because what happens is just a mere mention of the words depression and suicide out loud elicits the most amazing responses from people, a lot of whom I've never met. When I get done with my keynote, I do a general Q&A for everybody. And I tell the audience, look, I'm going to hang out another 30, 45 minutes. If you have an individual question or you want to share a story, but you don't want to share it with everybody, I'll take those individually. And sometimes there's two people lined up, sometimes 10. And oftentimes they start this way, Frank, I've never told anybody this. Gee, I get that a lot. My job is to give them permission by being vulnerable, give them permission to give voice to their feelings and experiences surrounding depression and thoughts of suicide. They're just waiting. I did a show and I described chronic suicidal ideation. And I said, look, people in my tribe, chronic suicidal ideation means that it's suicide is always on the menu as a solution for problems large and small. And when I say small, my car broke down a couple of years ago. I had three thoughts unbidden. One, get it fixed. Two, buy a new one. Three, I could just kill myself. And I do that every time. And almost every time since 2014, there's been at least one person in the audience who has chronic suicidal ideation. They have no idea it has a name. They think they're just some kind of freak and all alone. A young woman came up to me after a college presentation. She said, thanks for the keynote. You're welcome. She goes, but I got to tell you, it made me weep. How did it make you weep? She goes, you know your story about the car? Get it fixed, buy a new one, kill yourself. I've been having those thoughts all my life. I didn't know that had a name. I thought I was some kind of freak and all alone. And then I hear you say, I have that too. And I realized for the first time in my life, I'm not in fact alone. And I wept. I mean, that's the power of starting the conversation and giving people permission to give voice to those feelings and experiences. Wow. Wow. This like wow how you say this it's so profound like this is for me why i'm so passionate about this podcast because i truly believe that everybody has some sort of story that other people can feel these feelings about if it's small or big it's it doesn't have to be about suicide it can be about whatever but the fact that you are vulnerable that you are courageous that you found the time to create this story to find you know the internal braveness to to stand there and to be the one saying you know i am going to be the vulnerable telling it in front of the group and therefore i allow you to 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 think these feelings too and to to recognize yourself and you start a conversation and like what is 
what is the impact that you feel that you made with all these talks? Is well, there something you can share about that? I got a, a DM on LinkedIn from the psychologist on base at Fort Irwin in California. It's, a, it's an army base uh, about 30 minutes north of Barstow, California. And I, I did two or three keynotes for the troops. And the psychologist sent me a DM. He said, Frank, a guy walked in here today, depressed and suicidal. And he said to me, I'm here because Frank King said I had to come. And I spoke in October. And I hadn't, hadn't spoken to that soldier, but I spoke in October and I said, you need to speak up. You need to reach out and ask for help. And so he said, you know, because Frank King told me I should come. My goal is to save a life a day. So I figure that day, that was my guy. Wow. this I feel chills all over my body. This is what it is about. You know, it's pretty cool when you hear, oh my God, this guy, 10 TEDx's and people, like some part of them is like, oh, I want that too. I want to stand on that red dot. It's going to be so cool. It creates so much credibility for you as a person, as a business owner. Uh, it, it, it gives you so much audience. I, mean, I don't know how many views you had combined, but that's just beyond, you know. But if you just talk about people are opening up the conversation, people are taking action of something because you said that because you said it in that moment and they took the action and it, it it creates a ripple because what does this do to i don't know who this person was but if if they have a partner if they have maybe kids if they are a kid of someone like how does it change the whole environment of that person and because you were there standing sharing your story i get so enthusiastic about that you already did this talk so it's not even like to motivate well, it's like wow and I was at the University of Montana Billings one winter day and it was, I spoke and it was dusk and I was standing outside the building, the, you know, where I spoke and there was a river nearby. I could hear the river in the distance and it was starting to snow. So river, snow, dusk. And I thought to myself, oh dear God, I'm like George Bailey and it's a wonderful life. I've been shown what these people's lives would be like if I were not here to simply reassure them that they're not alone. And my second thought was, now I can't kill myself because I would take those people with me. Wow. So. <laughs> hey, Frank, this is this is the emotional part. Huh? And this is like, I, I, I truly believe that if this is your why and this is your mission, then you will never stop. And then that it will all be rewarding. But you're also a business owner. And I'm very curious how this influenced your uh, you already said you have quite a, a bandwidth on on linkedin you have quite some following how did this tedx you know from comedian to tedx uh, or to public speaking keynote getting paid gigs change your mm, value in the marketplace let's put it there well and i coach speakers on how to make money speaking and <laughs> yeah. one of the things i tell them right off the bat is you have to pick a lane you want to become the expert or thought leader you don't want to be a generalist, a jack of all trades. You don't want to speak on networking, customer service, and leadership. You need to pick a lane and become, become so that you're no longer simply a commodity in the speaking business. You're not just another person who speaks on that topic. The long game is that when somebody comes looking for a speaker on your topic, they're not looking for just anybody. They're looking for you. And it's happened a few times since 2014 where they go, no, we tracked you down. Heard about you. We got to have that and track you down. That's A, is pick a lane. And B, if you're going to speak, you don't need to pitch everybody. You don't need to spray and pray your marketing. Seth Godin, my favorite marketing guru, says you need the smallest viable audience. 
that will buy what you have and would support you and, you know, provide you, fulfill your goals for income and such. So I say you need to find four to six ideal client groups that have a problem or pain point you can address. And so I picked the top six at-risk occupations for suicide in the U.S. That's the only people I pitched to. And, and if you go to suicide prevention speakers, dental, as in dentist, dental, because I went there today in an incognito search, the first five organic listings on page one Google are mine. I mean, that's a lot of real estate on page one. And, and, and my other groups, the other five, I've got one, one listing on, on page one. But still, that's the benefit of selecting four to six ideal client groups so that you can dominate. Because nowadays, if they can't find you online, you know, if your SEO is not good, hard to book you if they can't find you. I did a construction engagement in, uh, in Manhattan in, in a building under construction. And I asked the guy, you know, why'd you pick me? And he goes, Frank, I typed in suicide prevention speakers construction. And damn it, you just kept coming up over. <laughs> and I said to my team, apparently, this is the guy. And same with agriculture. Same with osteopaths. The woman booked me for an osteopathic physician's conference. I go, how'd you find me? She goes, Frank, you know, on a whim. I thought, what the hell? Suicide prevention speakers, osteopath. Boom. You, you came up. There is one. Oh, my God. Because, because here's the trick. I have a landing page, thementalhealthcomedian.com forward slash osteopath, forward slash construction, forward slash agriculture, forward slash death. So when the meeting planner lands there or types that in, they land on a page where they see exactly what they're looking for. The woman who booked me for the dental function had no idea I speak to veterinarians and physicians and lawyers and you know, they, they saw exactly and the agriculture one was funny she goes frank so i get your page suicide prevention speaker agriculture there you are i'm starting to read your first couple of paragraphs on your on your homepage. she goes it starts like this i bet you've been selected to find just the right suicide prevention speaker for agriculture she said she thought to herself how does he know this <laughs> but that's the benefit of selecting a lane Become the thought leader and expert and select your ideal clients. Because I don't care how good the keynote is, if they don't have a problem you're solving, why would they book it? Yeah. Yeah. And by the Super way, Super profound. you mentioned that some people say, you know, I, I bet a lot of people have already talked about this topic on TEDx. And I, I hear that a lot from my TEDx coaching clients. I go, look, yes, they have, but they don't have your story. Because a TEDx is not a personal story, but part of a TEDx is a personal story. And something TEDx really likes, they like a good idea worth spreading, like it even better if you've got a great backstory. So yours is going to be different simply because your messes and stresses were different than everybody else. This is just magic. I, 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 I wrote down a bunch of notes. I always <laughs> like to write stuff down. I always like to, to re-anchor it in. It's funny because I, I, I... I'm on the backside of TEDx. I'm part of one committee. So I know a lot of things you're saying, oh. but it always, yeah, yeah, yeah. It always, always anchors in, in a different way of communication. And I think that is what this podcast makes so cool is everybody shares from their personal experience. You know, everybody has a different lens and a lot of things are just, are the same. You know, everybody keeps telling the same things, but everybody keeps using different languages. And that's what makes it so cool. You know, maybe it clicked for you now as a listener, like, oh, wow. You know what? I have quite a serious topic and it's quite a big deal. But hearing you from the perspective of how you say it, like maybe it's my time to stand up and speak up. 
and just go out there and, and share my story to save one person a day or to make a smile on one person a day or, you know, whatever it, it might be for for the listener is like, wow, maybe this is something you take away. Um, before we, we wrap up, Frank, something you want to to share with the audience, like for the people who are now listening and, and thinking, okay, I want to. I want to reach more people. I want to have more impact. What is this one thing you want to to share with them that they they can um, they can take into their lives? Well, and getting a TEDx can help you make an impact. I cannot draw a straight line. I think I told you from a TEDx to a booking, but credibility, visibility, marketability—you know—if you have a TEDx and you have a photograph of you standing in front of those big red letters, that should be the you know the photograph on your homepage. My sizzle reel, my demo video, is little slices of. A bunch of my TEDx is all rolled into four minutes and 47 seconds. It's a, TEDx is a great marketing tool. Just because it goes up on YouTube, they're not going to be the path to your door. You have got to be actively pushing it out there and leveraging it to get speaking engagements. And, you know, if you, if you come up against, let's say there are three people they're trying to decide among for on one topic for this conference, and the other two don't have a TEDx, you know, it might give you a leg up. It's not no guarantee. But, you know, some third party, some curation team somewhere thought, man, that is a great idea. Speaking of which, the mental health and the orgasm treat your depression single-handedly. One of the women on the, uh, one of the organizers thought it was the worst idea she'd ever heard of. I didn't know that. And, and it's the only one I've ever gotten standing ovation for. And bless her heart, she came up after the event and said to me, look me right in the eye. She goes, Frank, I didn't think you belonged. She goes, I have never been so happy be so wrong which i thought you know to admit that she was wrong that takes a lot of guts to admit you made you know fortunately she was outvoted and i got to do it but you want to hear the you want to hear the last the joke that got me the standing ovation yes please do bear in mind we're talking about mental health and the orgasm i said and my wife told me not to do this joke and i said no it's gonna kill so i said to the audience at the end i go do you know why they call an orgasm an orgasm and they're looking at me like no i go because nobody could spell <laughs> Danny Govich. <laughs> what a horrible joke. I know. <laughs> but so I got only one out of nine I've done so far I got a standing ovation for. <laughs> so what made you decide <laughs> to leave the joke out in the end? You know, if that was your success factor. You know, my wife said no, and I mean I understood why she said that. You know, perhaps thought somebody be offended or didn't think it was that funny. And, you know, and I, and, and, and I respect she's, she's, she's been with me for 35 years. She's seen every comic who's famous. Now we've worked with them. So she's got a good sense of comedy and she just thought, you know, it's just not going to fly. And I thought, no, at some point the comedian and speaker have to decide to leave it in or take it out. And my gut just told me it would kill. And I mean, they jumped to their feet <laughs> at the end. First standing ovation I've gotten at a TEDx. Well, you get a stunning ovation from me now, Frank. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, I know how busy you are. And it's so, so, so cool that you shared some insights with the audience today. Um, Thank you so much. I'll put your link to your LinkedIn down below so people can find you easily. And um, yeah, I would say stand up and speak up. Yes, because, you know, the, the whole idea behind speaking, I think, is, as we talked about in the very beginning, is to make a living and make a difference and you know you're actually cheating the audience if you're not willing to step up tell your story and attempt to make a difference and 
And you never know. I mean, I'm sure there are people I've never met beyond people in the audience who, you know, heard me say chronic suicidal ideation. There's probably somebody watching right now who has chronic suicidal ideation. And, and it, it was, it came, you know, it was an epiphany for them when they heard me say that. They're like, what? That has a name? I'm not alone? I mean, that's the kind of thing that can change the path of your life from maybe steer you far enough off the path of suicide to live a normal life. You know, that's, that's the impact. And we will never know. We will never know. And that's why we keep doing it. Yep. Thanks, Frank. Wow. We're at the end of this episode already. What a ride. I hope you took as many notes as I did. And I would love to hear from you. A review would be awesome. And you know what would be awesome too? To make more impact. And there's not one, but three ways we can get there. The first, to reach more people. Who is this one person? A colleague, a friend, or a neighbor who could benefit from this episode as well? Copy the link and share it with them. The second step is to not only be inspired, but also take action upon the knowledge that you gain. And to help you do so, I will give you my 14-day speaking habit training completely for free. So you can build that speaking muscle right now. Check the link in the description. It's ready for you. And the third step is to get more insights from other angles of the speaking industry. Subscribe to the podcast so you will never ever have to miss a single episode. And that's why I can say now to you, see you in the next one. Ciao, ciao!